We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'll ask you to open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. 2 Corinthians 2. And, and as I've said before, 2 Corinthians, the letter itself, it's a very personal letter from Paul. It, it is personally, it, it's a personally revealing uh, epistle of all of Paul's letters. This is one that just kind of opens up his heart and he says, you know, I just got to share with you the things that I've gone through. Now, if you were with us during 1 Corinthians, and maybe you may know this or not, uh, 1 Corinthians was a very stern letter. It was a disciplinary letter. And Paul has already written four letters to Corinth. The first letter that he wrote to Corinth was the letter that he addressed the sexual immorality problem. And we saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and he was saying that, you know, you've got to just abstain from hanging out with sexually immoral people. And he clarifies that. He clarifies that by saying, not the people of the world, because those guys, you know, they're not getting it right. I'm talking about people within the church. And it's so sad that Paul had to even point that out. But you know, sometimes we have that within the church. The church needs to be ready to discipline and, and hold people accountable. And I think that's one of the hardest things to do within a church. So as Paul is addressing this issue, and that letter that he wrote when that took place is lost. My understanding probably is somebody tore it up. You know what? We don't want to listen to that. So Paul writes a second letter. Now remember, Corinth. Corinth is a church, a place, excuse me, a city that Paul planted a church. He knew that there were a lot of lost people there. It was the cesspool of all Greece and Rome and, and the known world at that time. People would come there from all over the places. It was ideal for trade and for travel and, and how people just went through there. And so it was set up with all these idols and worships and all kinds of everything, philosophers, that they would come from all walks of life. And everybody was bringing in their religions and their statues and their ideas. And Paul proclaimed the gospel and said, you are in the wrong. You are offending a holy God. God is the one that created you. God created you. He made you. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rectify, declare, to redeem you. If you would just place your faith upon him. And, and what God did is he opened up these dead eyes and people were brought to life and they come to know who jesus christ is the problem was they wouldn't let go of their past sin they wouldn't let go of the things that brought them pleasure so they thought and they brought it into the church paul established the church he wrote this first letter that is lost now he wrote the second letter which we call first corinthians and we went through that whole process there was division sexual immorality there was a uh, disunity within the church the lord's supper was being profaned spiritual gifts were being misused they had this concept of marriage that was not right uh and, and on and on and on paul just we we went through this uh, we took several months if not two or three years to go through first corinthians and it helped us to understand that what paul was doing was he was disciplining them so what paul does he sends a third letter and we lost that one as well. And that letter, he was just very forceful. As a matter of fact, it was so forceful that he sent it with Titus. And Titus, he says, I want you to send this letter, take this letter to them, read it to them. I want them to hear what I want them to do. This, I mean, this is enough. Now, I don't know if you ever had an opportunity to write letters or emails, but it, it takes some time, right? I mean, you're writing something down and you have to think it through and you have to make sure that you formulate it just right. Because you never know who you're going to offend or how that's going to come across. And we see that a lot on Facebook and social media, how people write stuff and people just take it all for the wrong, in all kinds of different directions. 
It's like the guy that said, you know, I, I prefer mangoes over oranges. And somebody responds and says, well, what do you have against oranges? What did they ever do to you? You know that there's also pineapples, there's pears, there's peaches. You should do your research. I just like mangoes. And people get so upset over nothing. And so Paul was carefully crafting his letter, and he's telling them, look, this brother that came up against me, this guy that, that you guys understand, he is not in the right. you got to set him straight. Set him straight. Well, Titus takes this letter, and in the process, Paul is doing ministry throughout all over the place, and we're going to see a little bit of that right now. He's in Ephesus. And according to Acts, and this is where I'm helping you to become more of a theologian. You start to look at the Word of God and use God's Word and to see how to apply all these principles and everything else that's going on to your life. And if you go to Acts chapter 19, you'll see that Paul was in Ephesus. And what Paul was doing is he was preaching the gospel and a riot broke out. Nothing like what we have today. This riot was because he was preaching the gospel. People didn't like what they were hearing. And it was a stench. It was a fragrance of death to these people. And they said, we don't want this. And a riot broke out. He escaped there by the skin of his teeth. He ends up in Troas. And this is what Paul is saying here. He ends up, he ends up there and recognizing and realizing that you know, there's an opportunity to do ministry. As a matter of fact, in Troas, uh, the Acts chapter 20 tells us the story of Eutychus. I don't know if you remember the story of Eutychus, but Paul says, you know, I, I needed to leave very soon, maybe the next morning. And so he was preaching and he was preaching and it got dark and he continued to preach and preach and, and it was getting late. And, and so people lit up their oil lamps and the fumes in this three-story building were going up to the top. Now Eutychus was sitting up at the top level right next to a, a window or on the ledge. And so we don't know if he got intoxicated by the fumes or he fell asleep like I'm not going to say who, but uh, some people do. And uh, I, I always thought that you guys were just agreeing with me, you know, just like. Anyways, so Eutychus falls asleep. He falls out the window, ends up on the, on the ground, and he ends up dead. Paul goes immediately, immediately, and covers him in prayer, and he's brought back to life. So, so when we read this portion of Scripture, keep, keep this background in mind. Paul's already shared with us in uh, the first Corinthians chapter one on how he was comforted. He says in verse two, uh, excuse me, verse three of chapter one, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us, he says, in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. Paul is talking from experience. I've gone through a lot. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say of the, all the things that took place in his life. He says, I don't want you to be unaware in verse 8. He says, of the afflictions that we experienced in Asia. And this is talking about Ephesus and Troas and the places that he was. He says, uh, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised of life itself. Even indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul says it was just so overbearing. It was just to the point of, you know, we just want to die. And he goes on to say, but he delivered us. But, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, 
but on God who raises the dead. And he delivered us. And Paul is saying, you know, I've gone through a lot of struggles. I understand your, your pain. And, and, and he's talking to the people in Corinth, and he's concerned for this church. And he, his heart is being poured out. He says, look, guys, I've yelled at you guys. I've, first of all, I, I birthed you guys spiritually. I've yelled at you guys. I've sent you a letter, and I've sent you Titus, and I haven't heard back from him. I don't know what's going on. And, you know, I'm just kind of like in shambles. I, 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 he's, he's worried, he's concerned. Some, some commentators even stated that he was depressed. He was so out of focus that he was focusing on the wrong thing. He was focusing on, on the problem. And he says, you know, I, I know I changed my mind of going to you because I didn't want to go there and yell at you guys again. So I had to just take a deep breath and hold back. And some of you are saying that because I didn't show up, I changed my mind, Paul says this, Paul says that, and these super apostles came in, supposedly. These other teachers came in and started to mix up the theology that Paul had already taught them. And we get to this point where we're at in chapter 2, because we were talking about this last week as well, and he, he talked about how we ought to forgive one another. You know, the guy that, that, that did me wrong, okay, he's, he's experienced enough turmoil. He's experienced enough, you know, shunning. Because Paul is saying, you know, if somebody messes up within the church, have nothing to do with them. Hand them over to Satan, he says to, uh, to the people in Corinth in chapter 5 of verse 1. Hand them over to the Satan so that Satan can, you know, if it has to be, take his body, but his spirit will be saved. And that's a very hard discipline to do, beloved, when you're dealing with your own children. When you're dealing with family that you really love, when you're dealing with those that you really, really care for. But folks, I want to tell you something. This is the instruction that Paul has given us. And this man, this sexually moral man, was handed over to Satan. This other man that came up against Paul was handed over to Satan. And this man wanted to come back, and yet they wouldn't let him back in. Paul says, let him back in. I think he's experienced enough shunning. Forgive him. We talked about this last week, forgiveness. If we just learned how to forgive on a regular basis, a lot of our problems would be solved. But, you know, forgiveness leads to bitterness and anger and resentment and, and all kinds of other maladies within our life. And, you know, if we just learn how to forgive. Man. We said last week that, you know, if I can't forgive, I, I will never forgive that person. It makes us bigger than God because God can forgive. You'll never have to forgive more than God has forgiven in your Man. life. Ever, ever, ever. And so forgiveness, if we don't do it, if we don't forgive one another, it is going to cause problems in your life. Amen. So we come to this portion of Scripture where we're at in verse 12. And Paul is talking about the triumph in Christ. And he says this in verses 12 through 17. I'll read that. Just a little background of where we're at right now. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're just going to focus on taking this apart so that we can apply it to our life. And it says this. In Ephesians, excuse me, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and on. He says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But, he says, thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death 
to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as, a co as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Father in heaven, thank you once again for giving us this portion of scripture for today, for our understanding, our study, and our application to our life. Lord, help us to not focus on the problems within our own life, within our own city, within our state, our nation, the world. We have been overwhelmed, especially for those that have stayed home and quarantined and, and listened to the news day after day. The problems of this world have just been overbearing to the point of not even wanting to step out the door anymore. And I pray, God, that you help us, not only on a national, international, on a community level, but in my own personal life, on the various things that seem to be happening in my life. Help us not to focus on those issues, but to focus on your plan. So, Father, we ask you to lead us this morning in doing so, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. and amen, and amen. Paul says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me, he says, you know what? When I, when I focus on my problem, number one, I have a loss of desire. I have a loss of de desire. Even though this door was opened, he was preaching the gospel, people were getting saved, and he resurrected a dead guy. Now, what greater encouragement, influence to plant the church? I mean, that in itself, wow. Paul, where are you going? You know what? I, I got to find Titus. Why? Well, you just, you don't understand. And Paul wasn't the one to be sharing what was happening in his life. As a matter of fact, in Acts, Luke is writing this out. He doesn't share what happened to Paul or what, what he's going through, but he's going through this turmoil in his life. He says, you know, the door was open for me. And when I focus on my problems, whatever door might open, I'm going to have, I'm going to second guess it. I'm going to third guess it. I'm going to think, you know, that it's just, just not for me. And though the opportunity is there, God has revealed his miraculous plan for you. And if I don't have God's plan in view, which I'll share with you here in just a little bit, if I don't have that in view, then I lose a desire to do ministry. Second thing that happens, he says, you know, my spirit was not at rest. He says, I just, I couldn't sleep. I, I was depressed. I was discouraged. I was, I just, my spirit couldn't rest. My mind just kept going back and forth. What happened to Titus? Did they kill him? Did they execute him? Did he, they even get my letter? Was he arrested? You know, and I, I, did they get it? Not, do not want anything. To, is the church disbanded? His spirit was not at rest. See, when we focus on the problem, and Paul, the super apostle, he's being transparent. He's being open. Now, you need to understand that in chapter 7, we'll find out that he does say, you know, finally Titus came back. And we know this because, well, the letter was written and all these other things. You know, Titus does show up eventually. And, and, and he already knows this in the back of his mind, but yet he's showing the church in Corinth how much he loves them. He wants them to know. And the third thing that happens is I lose my motivation when I focus on my problem. So I took leave of them. He says, you know, I, I just couldn't get motivated to continue on and preach. So I went to Macedonia. Maybe I'll find Titus there. Because in order to get to Corinth, you had to go through Macedonia, Troas, and then the Corinth. And he says, well, by now the last boat has arrived. And I'm going to wait to see if, you know, the season's already, the, the rough seasons are coming up. And we know that this is the last one because we don't know how, you know, what's going to happen next. And he wasn't on the boat. I got to go to Macedonia. And he left. When you focus on your problem, folks, whatever it might be, you know, and I'm not talking about just the, the well, I'm talking to any problem. 
And right now, in, in, in our culture, in our world, I, I think right now this message is, is just right on time, once again, for everything that's going on around us. Because, you know, we, we have a focus. Our news is instantaneously. I heard of a, of a shooting last night right down the street from my house, instantaneously. And I thought, you know what, this is important. Maybe what I ought to do is take some uh, pictures or, or download some of these pictures of the things that happened so that I can you know, remember these things. And, and lo and behold, everything's taken off the internet. Now everybody's wondering what's going on. Is there going to be another riot in San Bernardino, right down the street from my house? You know, so we're just wondering what's going to happen next. If you focus on the problem, you're going to lose your desire and rest and motivation for what God wants to do in your life. You see, when I focus on my problem, I have all these things that are happening to me. But when I focus on God's plan, here's the beauty of this all, folks. When I focus on God's plan, this next, thank you, me, I'm not done yet. <laughs> she goes, all right, we'll get into the good part now, she says. <laughs> when I focus on God's plan, okay, Dad, let's focus on God's plan, please. Because when I focus on God's plan, the very first thing that happens is, but, thanks be to God. You know, that word, but, always re should remind you, okay, there is that ugliness, and now, but God. But God. You know, thanks be to God, Paul says. All of a sudden, there's this shift in what he's been talking about, and he is just praising God. You know, when you focus on your problem, you know what that's called? That's called worry. Yeah. That's called worry. When you're focusing on your problem, yeah. it's called worry. But when you focus yeah. on God... Yeah. That's called worship. Amen. You know, and I know a lot of people, good, well-meaning Christians, that they would rather focus on the problem Amen. than focus on God. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but you can't do both at the same time. Amen. Okay, you can't do that. You can't focus on worry and focus on worship at the same time. Have you ever tried that? You're so worried and you're trying to pray and you can't because your mind is at, not at rest, because you lost your desire, you've lost your motivation, because worship doesn't fit. And worship is something that we are designed to do naturally. We're not designed to worry. Jesus even told us, he says, you know, look at the birds. It's not natural, they don't worry. They go around all over the place tweeting and eating. You know, they just tweet and eat. And they don't worry about anything. They know where they're going to get their next week. Look at the lilies. Beautiful flowers, how they're adorned and better than Solomon. They don't worry. You know, God doesn't want you to worry. It's not natural. It's not healthy. It's not, it's not part of who you are designed to do. Some of you are saying, have said to me before, I'm a born worrier. No, you're not. Worry is not something God gave you. Worry is a learned behavior. Worry is something that you learn from other people, possibly from your parents that learned it from their parents. Worry is something that you learn from people around you. And you know the good thing about that is that because it's a learned behavior, it can be unlearned. It can be unlearned. And the only way to unlearn it is to worship. So this is what Paul says, but thanks be to God. Okay. It is so interesting because he, he, as we talked about this, he says, he says, you know, in verse 14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, to most people, they don't understand what this triumphal procession is. Well, you know, 
Okay, what is that? You see, but to the Jews or the Greeks, especially in the Romans, oh, a triumphal procession. Wow, I can see that. It was just a huge deal. It's kind of like a, a ticker tape parade. If I were to say a ticker tape parade, some of you would say, oh yeah, like when, uh, unfortunately, the 49ers lost and the Kansas City Chiefs won. They had a ticker tape parade and they had confetti coming from all over the place. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the ticker tape parade was first started back in the 1800s and the uh, Statue of Liberty came, the very first one, and, and everybody got the news and they used to get the news on these tapes that used to and they used to call it ticker tape. And that's how they would get the news. Oh, yeah, hey, the statue, whoa, it's done, it's completed. And everybody went outside, and they tore up the ticker tape, and they threw it out the window. And so they would have ticker tape parades for all kinds of things, and now we have them for all. And if I were to say the ticker tape parade for uh, football, you'd say, well, yeah, the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, they brought home the Lombardi Trophy. If I'd say the, uh, the, the World Series, you know, would, if I were to say that to some of you, you would, you'd probably ask, who won? You know, who's the victor? And, and the apostle uses this backdrop from 14 to 17 about this triumphal procession. Now, I, I got to really, I, I read this commentator, and I, and I want to I kind of warn you ahead of time, William Barclay. He's a very liberal commentator. He, he, there's a lot of things that I, I don't agree with theologically. And you might start asking, well, why do you even read him then? Well, because I like the way he gets into the times, what we call the Zitzenleben, the days or the times of Jesus. And I get into, I really like the way he expounds on the, the culture and the society. And, and this is what he says about the triumphal entry. He says, in Paul's mind is the picture of the Roman triumph and of Christ as a universal conqueror. The highest honor which could be given to a victorious Roman general was a triumphal entry or triumphal uh, procession. To attain it, he must satisfy certain conditions. He must have been the actual commander-in-chief in the field. The campaign must have been completely finished. The region pacified and the victorious troops brought home. 5,000 of the enemy at least must have fallen in one engagement. A positive extension of territory must have been gained, in other words, brought in, and not merely a disaster retrieved or an attack repealed, but the victory must have been won over a foreign foe, not anything close by. In a triumphal procession, the procession was of a victorious general, marched through the streets of Rome to the capital in the following order. And this is the order that they had. Now, when Paul used this term, the triumphal procession, everybody saw what it looked like. First, he says, came the state officials in the Senate. Then came the trumpeters. You, you, you have all this noise that's happening through Rome. Then were carried the spoils taken from the conquered land. For instance, when Jerusalem was conquered, the seven-branched candlestick and the golden table of the showbread was taken and the golden trumpets carried through the streets of Rome. And uh, they, they showed that they won. And, and we got all their possessions from their church. We've won. Everybody's, yeah, everybody's cheering them on and clapping their hands. Then came the pictures of conquered lands and models of conquered citadels and ships. There followed the white bull for the sacrifice, which would be made. Then there, then there walked the captives, the prince, the leaders, the generals in command, those that they captured in chains. Boo! You know, it was, yay, boo! You know, and, and it was just huge, a huge thing. Then came the, uh, the, 
the people that were going ahead and, and they would not only have the priests of that time, they would have incense and the incense would be burning and they would be throwing flowers and, and magnolias and just the sweet aroma of, of the flowers and the roses and whatever they, they tend to throw out there and, and the incenses they were burning and, and people were just having a great time, folks. It was just something to behold. And, and, and you, think, you think that our ticker tape parades were something. But after this, after this, and I get this, after all of that is put to the front, the general himself on a, on a chariot drawn by four white horses. Now look at this picture. That's what Paul is picturing when he says this, the ticker tape parade, everybody says, oh yeah, he was clad in purple tunic embroidered with golden palm leaves and over it a purple toga marked with the golden stars. And in his hand, he held an ivory scepter with the Roman eagle on top of it. And he says, I won. I'm the one that led this captive. I'm the one that led this battle. I'm the one that have, has overcome, and we are victorious. Beloved, if you want something to get excited about, if you want to be able to get away from your problem, focus on God's plan. You have already won the battle. Jesus Christ has conquered the enemy. Jesus Christ has taken care of what it is. This is the picture that Paul has in mind because of the terminology of the word that he used. And to us, it doesn't make sense unless you understand that part of history. You see, when I focus on God's plan, number one, I can focus on praising God. Number one, I can focus on praising God. But thanks be to God. You know, we sing a song. Blessed be the Lord. When I, I bless him during good times, I bless him during bad times. He gives and he takes away. He gives and he takes away. Whether the sun is shining down on me, whether I'm walking through the desert places, I'm going to bless the name of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Focus on the problem is called worry, but focus on God is always called worship. Recognizing his sovereignty is leading us, is foundational to your joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It will strengthen you and walk you through every single battle that you seem to be facing. Because the battles that you're facing are already conquered. You know, and it's unfortunate that we live in a fallen world. It's unfortunate that we live in a, in a sinful world. It's unfortunate that we have the, the, the sicknesses and the things, all of that because of sin. The sin that entered the world. And no matter what trials or persecutions that Paul or us could ever endure, we can rejoice with Paul that God is in sovereign control because the battle's already won. I like what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, and this might be in your outlines, but only part of it. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. Though we get the ability to praise God, we don't really deserve it. Though we are part of that triumphant procession, as Paul says, you know, I, I was with the worst of the bunch. I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecution, and, and I just thank God, Jesus Christ our Lord, that he judged me even faithful, to first and foremost to save me, second, to help me to, and cause me to share the gospel. Then he goes on to say, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. 
from the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is truthworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. One of my personal testimonies is, you know, I, I preach the gospel now, but you should have seen what I was like before. People that knew me before, and I say, I, I preach the gospel. You? <laughs> Sal? You got to be kidding. No, not you, yeah. Wow. But you were the worst of the bunch, yeah. I was the worst one. But I thank God that, first of all, that he found it, you know, in me. And it wasn't in me. It was because of him. Because of who he is, he reached down and saved this wretched man. But on top of that, he gave me the calling to preach the gospel to other people. See, contemplating this privilege that I have and that Paul has, you know, it it helps us instead of just fretting and fussing over the circumstances that can turn your situation into discouragement. Paul says, you know, I'm not going to do that. First of all, I'm going to focus on God. And to focus on his plan. And part of his plan is he's got me to be able to preach this gospel. Number two, when I focus on God's plan, I can focus on the promised victory in Jesus. I can focus on the promised victory of Jesus. He says again, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. In this triumphal procession in Christ, they follow, we all follow the all-conquering commander and, and, and if you remember that as we're looking at this procession and just the excitement of it, you know, and, and I see people get so excited that the Chiefs, that the Astros, that, that the Bruins won the, the Stanley Cup. You know, I get, or the Nash, I think it was the Nationals that won last year, anyways, in the, the World Series. But I just see people get so excited. Beloved, you want to get excited about something? Get excited about Jesus Christ being the commander that's already conquered He's already conquered. He's the ultimate victor over Satan. In Matthew 16, Jesus is telling Peter, he says, you know, Peter, I want to tell you something. I'm going to build this church on you. You're the rock I will build on. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it because I've already conquered. In Romans 16, 20, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's a promise. Why do we focus on Satan? Why do we even think about who Satan is? He's just this little yapping chihuahua dog trying to get your attention. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He, this is not in your outlines, but in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, and I believe it's up here. Yes, it is. He says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. In 1 John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Colossians chapter 2, 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. It's kind of like this procession that's going through the kings and all those that are conquered. They, they, they put him to open shame. And everybody say, boo, boo. And, and that's exactly the picture that God wants you to have. That's the picture that Jesus Christ wants you to have. That's the picture that God is portraying for you, that Paul is portraying for you. Look at Romans 8, 37. No, in all these things were what? More than conquerors through him who loved us. 
over and over again, this procession that we look at, and, and, and over and over again, though you may be suffering setbacks, over and over again, if you're suffering disappointment, if, you're, if your ultimate, is, it just seems like it's not going to happen. Beloved, ultimately, triumph is certain. You will march victoriously. You will on that glorious day as Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 promises us. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. This world is his. All this stuff going on in the world right now, to him it's part of his plan. Why? Well, because, first of all, he promised it. There will be lawlessness. These are the birth pangs. There will be this kind of chaos. There will be this kind of everything that's going on. It's promised. And so what we need to do is not focus on the problem. I need to focus on God's plan. What is God's plan? It's already done. Number three, when I focus on God's plan, I can focus on promoting Jesus. I can focus on promoting Jesus. You know, because that's the ultimate goal, beloved. As a church, as a, as a group, as a people, each one of us, each one of you, have this commission to promote Jesus Christ. Amen. The fragrance of the triumph that arose from the incense that the, the priest carried on the parade and, and, and the garland of flowers that were just tossed out there. This, this was all like, oh yeah, we won. It just smells so good. It, doesn't victory smell good? You ever heard that term? It's victory. It smells so good. I can almost taste it. The fragrance speaks of the influence of promoting Jesus Christ. It's Paul's point that, that, that in God, that it's a wonderful, humbling grace that God has given us. That, that comes through the believers. It's through each one of us, the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It, in every place. He, he uses humans, people, you and I. He uses each one of us to proclaim this good news. And you are to be this aroma, this pleasing aroma that people are drawn to and it smells so good. And, and I, I just really love this. And, and so what happens is when, when you are focused on God's plan, you can focus on promoting God. You can do that. And, and a lot of times all it takes is just walking the walk. You'd be surprised on how many times I have heard that people have said, I, I won't go to that church because I know who goes to that church. How many times people have said, oh yeah, I've been burned by true believers, genuine believers, Amen. or so they said they were. Amen. But my responsibility is to go and proclaim. Paul says later on in Romans, he says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's not that believers deserve such a high privilege, which we don't. I don't deserve the privilege of proclaiming Jesus Christ or promoting Jesus Christ. Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians 15, For I am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He says, I, I don't even have that privilege or that honor. I shouldn't be. But he saw it in me to give me that responsibility. To the Ephesians, he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of God, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone that is in the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church, listen to this, folks, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The church, you, church, not the building, you, church, are responsible for making the manifold wisdom of God known to the world. Here's the sad part. What they see, as Paul was pointing to the church in Corinth, what they see is sexual immorality. That's the kind of God you have? Really? What they see is division. That's the kind of God you have? That's the manifold wisdom of God? What they see is uh, bitterness, backbiting. What the world sees is not the manifold wisdom of God. But it's unfortunate. That's what they see. They see those things that the church portrays. You know, we're reading a book called The Holiness of God. And in The Holiness of God, we, we are created in the image of God. And in the image of God, it's, it's who we are. We are to portray this manifold wisdom of God. We're created in His image, and so we are to act in His image. First of all, by forgiving one another. And when people see a tainted Christian, they go, really? That's God's image? God's image is one that just mouths off and starts yelling all kinds of obscenities? That's the kind of God that you are portraying? That's the image of God? And we, we need to be careful, beloved, because that's what the world sees. The, the manifold wisdom of God needs to be proclaimed to the church. This is our responsibility. This was according, he goes on to say, to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. He says, don't lose heart. I'm suffering. Don't lose heart. You're going to suffer. Don't lose heart. Don't focus on the problem. Focus on God's plan. Number four, when I focus on God's plan, I can focus on pleasing God. I can focus on pleasing God. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Let me just kind of share with you what he's talking about here and what, what he has in mind here. Because this fragrance from death to death or from life to life. Now, as this procession is going through, as this procession is, is heading down the streets of Rome, the fragrance of life to life, we want, oh, that smells so good. The flowers, the incense, it is just a, it, it's a beautiful thing. Do you think it really is a beautiful thing for the enemy? For those that have been captured in chains? When they smell that, we're going to be executed tomorrow. And to them, it is a stench of death. You see, as we are looking to the procession, that is triumph and triumphal. And as we're looking at the, the end of all things as Jesus Christ brings us, and we are becoming that fragrance and believers that God is waking up, those that he's redeemed, he brings them to you. And you, you, you have this connection with one another. This is why it is that, that we as believers can come from various places, way up north, High Sierra, Kathy's Valley, I think that's where it's at, right? I had to say that. I had to insert you there somewhere. My friend, Eli. 
This is why some of you come from, where, I, I don't know where you guys are from, you know, in, in Riverside, and, you know, because there is this fellowship that is felt, well, this should be done in every church. This is not the only one. I tend to think so, but that's me. We have that, it just smells good. But you know what? Those that are reprobate, those that have, want nothing to do with God, I mean, you're a stick. Just get away from me. You've heard this. I don't want to hear it. Well, then don't open up the door. You know, every time I talk to you, you want to talk about God. Well, now that you open that door, <laughs> let me talk to you about God. Amen. I don't want to hear about God. Okay, let me talk to you about Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for you. And, and so these prisoners that were in shackles, they knew that death was imminent. And this is what Paul's saying. You know, to us, it smells good, but to them, yeah, it's, it's a stench of death. I can focus on pleasing God. I like what he says here. So he says that uh, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one, a fragrance of death to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Who is? Well, not me. You know, as he, but he points out in Galatians 1 verse 10, for I am now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So I am pleasing God. That's who I'm pleasing. I want to focus on pleasing him because that's who it is that has saved me. He says in, in, um, in Ephesians chapter 5, I don't think this is in your outlines, he says, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We need to try to find, okay, what is it that I need to do, Lord? The only way you're going to do that, beloved, is going through his word. This is, it's all right here. And it's unfortunate that a lot of people actually act, don't read this to find out what, what it is that pleases God. You know, people dive into devotionals on a daily basis. And I guess you can say, well, that's better than nothing. It's a verse and then, you know, some explanation. But that's not the Word of God. The Word of God is sufficient. The Word of God is, is substantial. The Word of God is deep. The Word of God is shallow. It's so shallow that a child can come and drink from its edges. But yet, it is so deep that a theologian we get lost even into the depths of it, not being able to find the bottom of it. That's the, the beauty of God's word. It is for each one of us. He says in, uh, that we ought to walk as children of light. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, he says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul says to the people in Thessalonica, in uh, chapter 2, verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. There are a lot of people pleasing pastors. And I got to, I got to admit, I, I, I used to be one. I, I didn't want to get anybody mad. I, I, well, you know, it's okay, don't worry about it, you know. And, and after some time, it was, you know, we don't have that much time left, folks. I don't have that much time. I don't. You know, I, I, don't, I only have several years, right? My wife says I have many. She's taking really good care of me. Praise the Lord, amen? amen. Behind every successful man is a wonderful woman. Amen. And a surprised mother-in-law. Not my mother-in-law. 
But just as we have been approved by God, he says, to be entrusted by the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but we should please God who tests our heart. That's what we are to do. And Paul encouraged them, and he shared with them that you are this aroma. This is a double-edged sword for those that have life and for those that are having death. They know that this is coming. And this is kind of what Peter talked about in 1 Peter, about the same thing about Jesus Christ. He says, for, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word of God as they were destined to do. Why do they stumble? Because they're not listening to what God is doing. They're not focusing on pleasing God. And the last thing I want to share with you is I can focus, when I, when I focus on God's plan, I can focus on the power of Christ. I can focus on the power of Christ. You know, because otherwise, I focus on the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I focus on my problem. Otherwise, I focus on everything else, on the world, on my government leaders. Otherwise, I'm focusing on what people are saying. Otherwise, if I'm not focusing on God, I cannot focus on praising God. I cannot focus on the promised victory in Christ. I cannot focus on promoting Jesus Christ. I cannot focus on pleasing God, and I cannot focus on the power of God if all I'm focused on is the problem. It becomes worry. It becomes worry. And Paul was thankful for that privilege of the power of Christ. No one is adequate. None of us are. We all need the power of Christ. He says later on to us in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. And later on in chapter 12, he says, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and all kinds of calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. And it's almost as if Paul, you know, just, I, I yearn for those calamities. I yearn for that persecution. I yearn for that hardship because I know that when that happens, I become stronger. And he's kind of like, bring it on, world. Because all you're doing is making me stronger. You know what we do is, you know, we stub our toe. We start crying. Why does everything happen to me? <laughs> I stub my toe. Why does it ever always happen to me? Why me? Why me? And Paul says, bring it on. Bring it on. I, I just want it all because I know that that is when I am at my strongest. He tells the people in Colossae, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, and he powerfully works within me. Over and over and over again, Paul says, you know, it is his strength. It is by his strength that I'm able to stand and work. You know, I can do all things. doesn't matter what it is. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. See, Paul says, I, I, I wanted to share with you what, what the gospel is. He says, he is who is sufficient for all these things? For we are not. He says in verse 16 and 17, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. There are people that are peddling, that are trying to make and earn a buck from the gospel. It was happening even back then. And they would do whatever it took. 
to bring a crowd. And they would, in a sense, peddle the word of God. And it was a general practice within the, the Greek community, the philosophers. They would dispense their truth for a nominal fee. They would say, you can be my disciples, and you cannot be within earshot of you. You can be a little bit further, but those of you that are right here, I'm going to talk to you. And if they want to try to listen, they can listen. But I'm going to talk to you. However, because of my need, I'm going to have to charge you a demerit or whatever it is, a drachma. I'm going to have, you know, it's just, oh, yeah, oh yeah, we can do that. And so a lot of these peddlers were doing this. This is what Paul is saying. You, you know, they, 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 were, they were people that were, they were in cleverness of speech. And, and as a matter of fact, these are the people that had infiltrated the church in Corinth. And so as Paul has talked to them already, now he's talking to them about the, these peddlers. These guys, they just, they're trying to take advantage of who you are. And so Paul was fond of the church. He was very in love with this church. He, he spent a lot of time in Corinth. We don't see it. This letter, 2 Corinthians, is not really studied as much. And that, that was surprising to me. And to be honest with you, I studied more 1 Corinthians than I've ever had 2 Corinthians. I've read through it. But this is really the first time that I've actually taken an in-depth study into the letter of 2 Corinthians. I, I always knew that there was a first letter that went out that was lost, and then 1 Corinthians. And I also know that there was another letter that was lost, which, and, and then 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians, I pull out scriptures because it has some good stuff. But I had never really taken the time to dive in as I'm doing now. And I call that as a shame to myself. But, you know, I come to find out there's not many people to do. And it is so important, and as we dive into it, we're going to start to realize, you know, when I focus on my problems, I lose all desire. When I focus on my problems, I lose my rest. When I focus, my desire, I focus on my problems, I lose all motivations. I need to focus on God's plan. When I focus on God's plans, I can focus on Jesus' triumph. I can focus on the influence I have to promote Jesus Christ. I can focus on pleasing God, and I can focus on His power. As we continue on, as I mentioned earlier, Paul finally hears from Titus. He finally hears that, you know, that, yeah, they received your letter and everything was good. And he's excited, but he's sharing with us the struggles that he went through. And he had no problem doing that so that you can hear it, so that you can understand it, so that you can grasp it for yourselves. So let me ask you, are you going to continue focusing on your problem or do you want to focus on God's plan? I beseech you to join us into focusing on God's plan. Let me ask you to stand. In these short few passages from 12 to 17, these short few verses, they, they packed a lot of punch. They really gave us what I think we needed to hear for today. In our world so ridden with violence and evil, it has just come to a point now where, where something has to happen. Something has to give. And I'm asking for you not to give in. I'm, I'm asking for you not to focus. Now, you have to be careful, please. You have to watch, make sure that everything is taken care of. But don't run away. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. For you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And this is what Paul ended up with in 1 Corinthians 15. And this is the message that he's given us today. Focus on the plan of God. Father in heaven, thank you once again. For you've given us the ability to, to see who you are and to be able to, to respond to your word in our life. 
And I thank you, God, that you found us faithful and worthy to be able to proclaim this word. As you continue to encourage your church and you continue to build them up, this young church, Lord, I pray that you, you give us the boldness that Paul had and the other apostles, especially during these times. So, Father, we just pray for those that are not able to be with us. We pray, continue to lift them up in prayer. Help us to come to know who you are even more so and to find what it is that pleases you, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen and amen. All right.